Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Bothell Amplified. Pastor Joe here, and today I'm sharing with you the latest sermon of our January series. It's also our 2022 theme. It's called One Small Thing. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the Hebrew midwives. Today we go to 2 Kings chapter 4 where we meet a widow who uh, confronts and cries out to the prophet Elisha. And uh, we see how the community uh, rallies around her and uh, uh, supports her in her time of need. Uh, take a listen and check it out. Well, when was the last time you made a New Year's resolution? <laughs> I don't usually. Uh, I, ever since I saw this uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strip when I was younger, I have uh, chosen to subscribe to the Calvin philosophy of New Year's resolutions. He, he said, uh, this year I have no resolutions. I am fine the way I am. The whole world should change to suit me. This year, though, I uh, thought I would make a couple. Uh, one is to spend a uh, little time journaling every day. Another is to read more. And the others are related to my health as I continue working on my diabetes. And, and I got to tell you, after 15 awesome days of 2022, I have yet to make it to the gym. Not because I lack the desire or I don't know the positive impact that exercise will do for my health. It's because other things get in the way. <laughs> I'll commit to going on Monday, and we're out of milk, so I'll choose to go shopping instead. Or I have another gym day set, but I've also just started this awesome book, and so I'd rather stay in my sweatpants and hoodie on my couch reading. I've realized that as long as I prioritize other things, I will make excuses not to go, and until I create habits for myself, I will fall naturally into the old ways and not live into a more healthy, a more whole me. You know, I was thinking about this because it's hard to look at the hurt and brokenness in our world around us and wonder how we would make a difference, how we would make an impact. Systemic and institutional racism, the need for affordable housing, mass shootings and increased gun violence, the uncertainty around COVID and the politicization of masks and vaccines, the, the looming impact of climate change. But remember that God does not expect us to tackle these issues alone. We are called to lean into our purpose of becoming Christ in the community to develop small habits that work together to create major change, to keep on keeping on step by step, doing our part, actively engaging in one small thing, and to see and to witness transformation as we continue on our journeys. Amen, someone. So last week, we, we started this series. We started by looking at two Hebrew midwives, uh, Shipra and Pua, who had the audacity to uh, disobey Pharaoh's orders in Exodus 1. And we looked at the ways that we might follow in their legacy and speak out in the halls of power. Today, we're going to turn to 2 Kings, where we find this amazing story of God at work. Now look, the, the, the books of First and Second Kings, they, it covers more than 400 years of Israelite history. It starts with King David's death and the launch of his son Solomon's reign. 
King David had had a long and successful reign. He united the tribes of Israel under one kingdom and his son Solomon. He reigned for 40 years in Jerusalem after him. But when Solomon dies, the kingdom splits as his sons vie for power. The ten northern kingdoms, they become the kingdom of Israel. They separate, and the kingdoms uh, of Judah forms, which, makes, uh, which is made up of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. They make up the southern kingdom, and, and, and each kingdom has its own issues. Right? The northern kingdom, it starts with a king who built two competing sanctuaries, two competing temples outside of Jerusalem, which leads to this kingdom uh, down a road of disobedience and a path to destruction. The southern kingdom, they raise king after king after king who don't follow the ways of God, and, and they too choose to follow their own ambition and desires, and it's in this climate of unfaithfulness that the prophets are raised, prophets like Elisha who, who arise and are called to speak truth to power, who, who remind and urge and, in, and, and even challenge the leaders and the society to live into being the people that God calls them to be. And so Elisha, he, he begins as a farmer. He's literally found and called while he's plowing his field, but he quickly is anointed and, and, and he's called to be a prophet performing miracles. He, he engages in battles and he declares the ways of God. And after a particularly messy battle between Israel and Moab, which you can read about in chapter 3, the chapter right before what we read today, we find that Elisha is now confronted by the wife of a member of the company of prophets, a, uh, someone who most likely knew Elisha, who, who followed Elisha, who was under Elisha's command. This woman, she, she lost everything. Her husband her income, her dignity, and she now fears losing her children to repay her debts. And, and Elisha does this amazing thing. He tells her to go outside to borrow empty vessels from all her neighbors, not just a few, and to start pouring oil into those vessels. Now I want to pause here to name a few things. First, can you imagine the amount of confidence and trust that Elisha had to have in the power of God that God would show up? Right? This desperate woman, one he probably knows, shows up in front of him, and his posture is not one of defeat or impossibility or even empathy or despair. Elisha trusted that God, who had been faithful to that point, would continue to be faithful and provide for this woman because God is a God of abundance and of life. But can you also imagine the amount of confidence and trust that this woman had to have in Elisha? See, I can fully understand why she went to him. He was the leader of her dead husband's company. He was the one who probably provided for them in other times of need, the one who could be trusted and counted on. But, but if I'm her, I'm going to Elisha to address the immediate need at hand. I need money. The creditor is coming to take my kids. I need to pay off my debts. Get me money now. Instead, Elisha tells her, go outside. 
Borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, not just a few. And I don't know about you, but what this feels like to me is a piling on moment of when she's down. With all that's happening, with all that has happened, with the amount of courage that it must have taken for this woman to cry out to Elisha, he now tells her to make herself even more vulnerable, to put her pride aside, to, to ask her neighbors for help. <laughs> hey, so I'm kind of going through this thing right now, this, this hard thing. I'm wondering if I could borrow a vessel for oil. So I'm about to lose my kids. Can you help me out? I'm kind of desperate. I'm really desperate. Do you have any vessels on and on, neighbor after neighbor? And here is the amazing thing. See, these neighbors, they say yes. They meet her at her moment of need. They give her the vessel so much so that her children keep bringing vessels to her and she keeps pouring. And not only that, when the oil does stop flowing, she sells that same oil in that same vessel she borrowed back to them and these neighbors buy them. So much so that their debts are paid and her children and she can live on what's left. Hmm. Now tomorrow we get to honor the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I, I was thinking about when we were living in Washington, D.C., me and my family, when we were there and the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial was being built and eventually opened in 2011. And if you haven't had a chance to see it or even see pictures of it, the design is spectacular. The, the, the memorial stands 30 feet high. Dr. King's likeness is carved into what's called the Stone of Hope, which emerges powerfully from these two big boulders on either side. It's known as a mountain of despair, and you enter the memorial through this mountain of despair. You journey through the struggles that Dr. King faced during his life, and you're accompanied by a 450-foot-long inscription wall. And on this wall has 14 quotes uh, from his speeches and his sermons and his writings. But one thing you won't see if you were to visit today is this paraphrased quote that was inscribed into that stone of hope. It, it said this. It said, I was a drum major for justice, peace, and righteousness. This quote sparked controversy when uh, the poet and author Maya Angelou, she said that it made Dr. King, quote, look like an arrogant twit, end quote. They uh, eventually removed the quote in 2013, but here's what it actually said. It, it came from a sermon that Dr. King gave February 4, 1968 at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, and it said, if you want to say that I was a drum major, catch that? If you want to say that I was a drum major, say then that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness, 
and all of the other things will not matter. See, the rest of his sermon deals largely with the danger of the personal ego driving people and nations to seek attention and supremacy towards negative ends, and and it challenges the community to turn that desire to stand out into service for others. See, Dr. King, he understood the power of doing one small thing, especially for showing up for one's neighbors in service. If you were with us last week, we we looked at the Montgomery bus boycott from the perspective of Rosa Parks, but there's more to that story because as the boycott was happening, people still needed to go to work. They needed to make livings. They had to care for themselves and their families. And while almost 40,000 people would refuse to ride the buses, they had to find alternative transportation methods. And this is where the story gets interesting. See, Dr. King and the other leaders of the Montgomery bus boycott, they understood that it would take the whole community for the boycott to be successful. Thousands of leaflets were printed and distributed. Pastors stood before their congregations getting the support of their communities for this boycott. And in somewhat of a secretive meeting, the boycott's leaders, they they reached an agreement. And some might say they forced an agreement, but they got to an agreement with black taxi drivers to carry black passengers for 10 cents a ride. It was the same price as a bus fare. However they got there, Here's the amazing thing. The taxi drivers said yes. They met the community in this moment of need, so much so that the boycott could launch well and the movement towards justice could swell and advance. So I ask you, church, how do we show up for one another as our one small thing? How do we show up for the members of our community in need as one small thing? How do we say yes? How do we give freely without the expectation of anything in return? How do we share and sustain life together as our one small thing? In a few moments, we're going to share with you some ways that you can do that one small thing this week, just like how the community showed up for the widow in our text and like the cab drivers did in the 50s in Montgomery, Alabama. And I really hope that you take this invitation to live into your faith seriously. We're called to live into our faith, not to be passive bystanders, but to live into the ways that God is calling so that we might see transformation in our lives, in our communities, and in all the world. And so may our faith compel us, may our faith propel us, and may God bless each one of those small things so that all might come to know God's abundant love. Amen? Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this time together, for an opportunity to be together in worship, to trust that your love and your grace goes beyond the walls of this building, but reaches beyond that all might know your love. 
And so God, bless our time that we might be inspired as the community showed up for the people in our text, for the community ways that community continues to show up in all the ways we pray that you would make us bold to do the same. It is in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen. All right, so that was part two of our sermon series, One Small Thing. I hope you were challenged by it, and I hope that you drew from it a call and a desire to show up for your community. Uh, when this episode drops, uh, we'll be celebrating and remembering the and honoring the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And in his honor, I hope you will not only uh, be called to action, but you will learn more about his life and the systems and institutions that keep people down and that together we might live into God's preferred future. Uh, at Bothell, what we are encouraging folks to do is to show up with jars like the community did for uh, the widow in our text, uh, but whatever that is for you, uh, you can find a local food bank, you can partner with your local school district, um, whatever that is, uh, make sure that you do your one small thing this week as we continue towards the beloved community. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of uh, Bothell Amplified as we continue the series One Small Thing. Mm -hmm.